And we are back on the big wake-up call, and great to have my next guest back on the show. He is a legendary writer, director, and actor. His new book and first novel, Liar Mouth, is now available where books are sold, and we are going to catch up with John Waters. And John, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward. I'm coming there to the Chicago Humanities Festival. Oh, great. Do you know when that is? And we can we can promote yeah, the heck out of it. Yeah, I think it's Saturday the 7th, yeah. Oh, perfect. Oh, so a couple of days from now. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we should meet up because I think we're close to being best friends. There's just four degrees of separation and that my wife worked with uh, John Wills, son of, of Gary Wills. Oh, great. Gary. Yeah, 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 definitely. I know him. He was from Baltimore. Yeah. So what has been happening then since we last chatted in, in 2019? Give me the tiniest tidbits of uh, minutiae over the past three years. Well, I think the main thing is I wrote this novel called Liar Mouth. Yeah. This is coming out, and I had never done a novel before, so that's it. And uh, I'm coming to Chicago with it on the book tour and this Saturday. I'm at the Chicago Humanities Festival, and I read that also Anita Hill is another guest. So finally, we're together. Wow. I don't think on a double bill, but that, there's a good combo. Well, it's going to be a good weekend. Is uh, yeah. Liar Mouth, is this a story you've had with you for a while and you finally wanted to write it down? Or, or did this just come to you and say, hey, I think I have my first novel here? Well, I, I had it at one point as a movie idea, but I uh, I never used it. And then I, I didn't really... It, what ended up in the novel is not much that I had, but it's all new. But I did have a germ of an idea, and I kept it, and I had taken some of the characters out of that and used it in other things. So I started over with it, but it wasn't uh, at one point in an idea for a movie. And uh, this is action-packed, this novel. No matter what you think of it, it is a page-turner. So uh, it could be a movie again. Who knows? Maybe somebody will have to buy the movie rights from me to make it, which would be kind of uh, ironic. So buying the movie rights from you to make a movie of your own story and that, that you would not direct? direct it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so, so it adds another paywall on it. Right. So the process of, and you said maybe this started as a film idea. Did you begin it as a screenplay? What, what is your, the way you work for, for a novel versus how you'd normally write a screenplay? Well, when I try to have a new movie idea, I try to go to Hollywood and get a development deal, which means you go in and you pitch the whole movie to the executive and then they pay you to go home and write it. Uh, I never got as far. I started to think up the pitch, which is like a treatment, but I never actually went to Hollywood and, and did that because I got other jobs. When a hairspray came out, I was writing sequels and that kind of stuff. So I never actually did pitch it. It, it wasn't that it got turned down. It just never got quite that far. I need to find a situation where I can just go and talk to somebody and they give me some money to go away and do it. That sounds like, the A, the most difficult thing to accomplish, but when you do, that has to be so freeing and satisfying as, as a writer and director. Yes, and if they don't make the movie, you don't have to give the money back. Oh. Uh, those deals are less these days. That was at the height of the studio system. Uh, but um, yes, and uh, all of them got made except one. Uh, all the ones where I got development deals, I went in. But to get ready for that appointment, it took me six months because I would pick all the music. I would think up an ad campaign. I would go in. I would pitch this movie. I knew exactly the whole plot and everything. So once I had that far, it was not that hard to write it. I already thought it up. So you're really going for it with these presentations. Are you or like like acting out portions of it? To a point. I mean, you know, I, I even startled them with hairspray and got up and did one of the dances for nice. them, which I think took their breath away. Yeah. 
Not the whole dance, but just to show a few sure. things. No, no, I, I want you to come in there with an orchestra and do the whole dance. And that's, wouldn't, right, that, wouldn't right. that blow them away? Well, you don't want to blow them away too much because uh, right. the thing is, they get to greenlight three movies a year. You want to be one of them. So you, there's a thin line between, especially with my work, and scaring them and making them. That's why I always bring an ad campaign because I'm always telling them, I understand we have to make money. Do you have a background in advertising or you just gained it because, you know, each of your, your films is, has to be uniquely marketed? Well, I thought up all the marketing for all my films way before I was in Hollywood. So I, I'm a showman, you know, I, I know how to, uh, to sell a movie. And at the same time, I, I thought all my movies were commercial and weirdly they were, they're mostly still in print. Criterion is re-releasing them all. They play on television. Now, how could they ever play on television? Even I'm startled at that. So, um, and I read variety. I knew, I knew kind of how you have to sell a movie because I want them to make money too, or otherwise they, you can't make the next one. Something has to do well, or they're not going to let you keep doing it. But certainly you hear, Hey, John Waters wants to talk to you. You're going to get that appointment. Yes, I, I did get the appointment, and that's because I didn't live in L.A. Ah. If I lived in L.A., they get used to you. They see you at every party. Living in L.A. would have been the stupidest thing for my career ever. The fact that I lived in Baltimore, where no one they knew lived, seemed like I was coming from Mars, and I'm in town for one week, so they would come, and they'd listen. They'd take the meeting, definitely. Oh, so should I put something together, since I'm in Chicago, and the Midwest is just considered flyover territory? No, Chicago is not thought of us. Chicago is definitely thought of as a major city. Oh, I need I need to move to Milwaukee then or something if I want to <laughs> go that approach. When you are writing uh, this book, Liar Mouth, and and I know you've you know loosely based some characters on on people you know. Did was that true for for any of this book? Uh, not really. I didn't know anybody that stole suit. Well, I did know one woman that used to steal the flight attendant's pocketbook on airplanes. Because they always keep it in the same bin in the front there. And, hmm. and I, I had a friend that flew with her, and they said, right, they didn't know she had done it. And then right before the plane was going to take off, they said, someone has taken the flight attendant's pocketbook, and we're not taking off this flight till somebody gives it back. Like it was like school. Whoever better tell here. And no one told them the plane did take off. That gave me an idea of it, certainly, because I was so shocked that somebody would do that. So watch your stuff when you're on airplanes. There are thieves at work. Well, if you tried something like that today on, like, Spirit Airlines, wouldn't you just be beaten senseless and then duct taped to your seat? Well, first of all, Spirit Airlines, if you took a bag on, it cost $10,000, and your ticket (laughs) was a penny. Right. (laughs) I'd like to steal the head of Frontier Airlines' pocketbook (laughs) because they steal yours. Which is more fun for you to write, both for this book and in general? Do you get more into writing the hero or the villain, or is it about equal for you? Well, first of all, writing is never fun. It's satisfying. Fun is when the book's a hit and you're off work and you're out to dinner having a drink. Uh, but it's satisfying work. Uh, it is it equally the same. If I make a movie or write a book or anything, it's, I go in there morning every day, Monday to Friday, from 8 to 11, and my job is to think up weird things. It depends which project it's going in, and that's satisfying to me, yes. But it's not fun. I mean, it's you still have to do it. I have something I can make myself laugh when I write and everything, but that's what I do for a living, so I wouldn't call it fun, but it's not misery either. 
Well, does it feel more like a, a craft then if you're, you're satisfied with the result, but you're not enjoying it while you're doing it? I am enjoying it while I'm doing it, but it's just not fun. Fun to me seems like, I don't know, when you're off work. Uh, well, yeah. So it, to me, it's being creative. I'm proud of what happens. I look back on the films. I'm amazed they're still out there, still playing. I did a signing last night in New York. The audience was so young. They weren't even born when I made Pink Flamingos. So uh, it's, it's, that's very, very satisfying that new generations find your work. And then uh, finally, John, I see some of the reviews for Liar Mouth. I read The King of Campology. I read fans of High Camp. How do you feel about that? Is that kind of what you're going for? I see camp referred no, to with most camp of your work. To me is, real camp is something that someone tried to be serious and it's so bad it's good. Yeah. So I don't think mine is, even if you don't like my films, I'm, you know, I ask the audience to be in on the joke with me. I'm right. trying to be witty and funny. It's not accidental. True camp is accidental. Uh, like Showgirls, no matter what the director says today, he was serious when he made that movie. <laughs> he was not trying to be funny. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's harder today because people try too hard to be campy or whatever. I would never use that word. It seems like a really old-fashioned word to me that I don't know anyone that says that word anymore. But um, still, uh, I think they try too hard, and you can't try too hard either to be witty. I hate jokes, but I like wit. If someone says to me, oh, i got a joke to tell you, I would say, oh, please don't tell yeah. me a joke. Please, please don't. It's the only thing worse than someone tells you the entire plot of a TV series they just watched. Uh, the new novel is Liar Mouth. It is now available where books are sold. Well, my um, guest, of course, the author, John Waters. Well, John, we uh, hope to see you in Chicago this weekend. Okay, good. I'm looking forward to it. And we are back on the big wake-up call, and time to get to my next guest. Glad to have him returning to the program. He is a number one New York Times bestselling author. His newest book, Kingdom of Bones, is now available where books are sold, and we're going to chat again with James Rollins. And uh, James, good morning, and welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. I thought I had done something to insult you or offend you because we haven't had you on since 2019. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad we're cool. Well, that's, that's the last time we had a Sigma book out was uh, the beginning of 2020. So wow. It's, uh, you know, it's been it's been a weird uh, look what's happened since we've not been on your program. You know, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Did we cause that? That is terrible. But no, I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're now in our four timers club. So you're just one appearance away from a t-shirt, a hat, or a mug. So I know you you want to come back for that. I do. So tell me about uh, the brand new book, boy. This is exciting. You have another one in the uh, Sigma Four series, Kingdom of Bones, and and what's going on in this one? Brawling jungle epic. I always wanted to do a big jungle story, and this is the Kingdom of Bones. It starts when all hell breaks loose at a UN relief camp deep in the African Congo. Men, women, children are found to be in this dull, catatonic state, while the environment around them has become more dangerous, more predatory, more toxic. It's evolving at an exponential rate. And it's not just happening at this one village, it's spreading across Africa, it's threatening the rest of the globe. It's up to our uh, heroes of the book, Sigma Force, to get in there, find out what's going on, and uncover a secret at the heart of the African continent at a cursed place known as the Kingdom of Bones. 
It's a story that sort of examines uh, our place in the natural world and even casts a light on the current pandemic. Yeah, I was just going to say, as you're describing that, and you hadn't had a book out since uh, 2020, and like you're writing a book about a global catastrophe, was was this book in mind? Did you have this as, as part of the next step in the series before things are going on, or did you write this during? You know, I had the idea in 2019. I read an article in a New Scientist magazine about when is the next global pandemic due. Wow. And I already done a pandemic novels in the past. I didn't really do another pandemic novel, but in that article, it's a bunch of weird stuff about viruses uh, and how they're hunting for viruses. And I was really intrigued by that whole aspect. And so I pitched this idea for a story in 2019 to my editor. And she said, yeah, run with it. Uh, and then 2020 rolls around. COVID appears. And my editor goes, Jim, did the virologists you were speaking to, did they warn you what was coming? Did they give you any heads up? Unfortunately, they did not. But what they were telling me before and as the, as the pandemic began was some pretty frightening stuff. It's sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, and it's, it's pretty scary stuff. It's stuff that you're going to find within the pages of this novel, shocking details, behind-the-scenes stuff that's going on in virology about the way viruses play a role in our life. And so uh, I debated even doing this novel because I thought, you know, doing a sort of a popcorn entertainment novel yeah. might be considered disrespectful considering that everything that's going on. But I also found that the information I was getting from virologists, I really wanted to share. I, you know, I thought it was important to get it out there. And so I, I continued forward with the book. Yeah, that'd be kind of bad pub if you actually knew what was going to happen and held it back for a book. So I, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, so we, we had to keep tweaking the story when I was writing it. Uh, yeah. I was talking to virologists, evolutionary biologists, and medical doctors, um, and you know, I, I need to make sure that the story was as topical and as real as possible, so that when it when it debuted, that it wasn't feeling like uh, it was already out of date. So now I have the sixteenth installment in the book here in uh, Kingdom of Bones. When you first, you know, came up with the concept. Of, uh, of Sigma Force. And how many did you envision this as a long series? Did you originally think of this as a standalone? Or like, you know what, I'd love to just explore and develop these characters as long as I can. Well, initially, I, I resisted doing a series. I was getting a lot of pressure from my publishing house to do a series, but all my early books were standalone adventures. Mm-hmm. And I was I resisted doing a series because of what I call the Jessica Fletcher syndrome. Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. An old woman from who was always stumbling over dead bodies. You know, I've never stumbled over a dead body, so you begin to wonder, what's wrong with that woman? You know, why is she always finding these dead bodies? Uh, to me, the only resolution of that series should have been the finale that reveals that Jessica Fletcher was a serial killer and that she's been framing everybody all along. It's also hard to maintain jeopardy with a series character, because if somebody puts a gun against Jessica Fletcher's head, you know that trigger's never going to be pulled because she's in next week's episode. So I resisted for a long time, and then I wrote a book called Sandstorm, where Sigma Force first appears. They're not the main characters. They're sort of support staff for the, for the main group of characters. But I like the idea of basing the series on a group of characters. That way I can avoid some of the Jessica Fletcher syndrome problems. That probably a threat can come from very, very many different directions because of very many different members of Sigma. No one in Sigma is necessarily safe because Sigma can always recruit a new member. So I like the fact that I can maintain that level of jeopardy. So once I got past that, it was sort of... Uh, to give a thumbs up to doing a series. And then I discovered it was sort of fun doing a series in that you get to explore the life of these characters over a longer breadth of time. You can accomplish things you can't do in a single novel. 
when you first meet Gray, the hero of, of Sigma, you know, he has a firefight with an assassin named Seishan. Now, 16 books later, Seishan and Gray are married and have a kid. It's hard to pull off that type of arc within one book. So you can pull it off over 16 books, and that's one of the advantages of doing the series is that, is that you, can, you can sort of explore and enjoy the, the breadth of these characters' life over a, over a long span. I had never heard of the, the Jessica Fletcher syndrome, but I like that. And when you think about it, you know what? If you were constantly stumbling over dead bodies, you probably need to reevaluate your circumstances and the people you're hanging out with. Yeah, I don't I definitely think real estate prices in Cabot Cove must be really, really poor. <laughs> now, you've described, as you met your, your, your Sigma Force as scientists with guns. Have you thought about doing something based on an actual scientist like, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson with with a forty four Magnum, but you could base a character on him but call him like I don't like Noel DeSoil Holyfield. That would be a lot of fun. I'd almost have to probably co write with like with Neil to get back to, to be able to do that without getting sued, but uh, that would be a lot of fun. Now, I'm working on a story loosely based on, on my life and in, in, in a career in radio, but it's more exciting. So far, I've only got like seven pages. Do you have any advice for, you know, maybe someone's considering being a first-time writer writing their first novel? Definitely. I mean, I've, I've had no formal training in writing. I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian from a young age. I career-tracked towards that. Never took an English class in college, but I read a lot. And I think if you know if you if you like to read and you have aspirations to be a writer and you want to dream one day of walking to a bookstore and seeing your book on a shelf, there's no reason you can't do it. Uh, there are tools of the craft you can you can learn and you can hone. It does mean doing a little bit of self self education. It means you know practicing your writing, which means the old adage write every day. Uh, you know, basically, you should expect to write a million words before you should expect to be published. But I also add my caveat to that is that you should be reading every night. Uh, if you have a problem with your writing day, how to you know, describe a character, how to dialogue authentically, when you read at night and you see how an author handles that topic, it begins to untie that knot in your head. And so if you write every day and read it every night, your prose is going to get stronger and stronger. Your skills are going to get uh, further home. And eventually, there's no reason you can't be sharing a shelf with me uh, at the you know, local Barnes & Nobles or on Amazon. And then finally, James, I'm going to be down visiting my uh, in-laws in Baldwin this summer, probably going to load up on uh, Lion's Choice and Ted Drew's. If you're ever down there at the same time, we really need to meet in person. Exactly. I always, I always, hit, I always hit Lion's Choice whenever I hit St. Louis. I got a Lion's Choice cap from my father-in-law for Christmas, and it's probably the best gift I've ever received, even though no one up here has any clue what it is. Most wonderful roast beef sandwiches in the world. And they have nickel, nickel uh, ice cream cones. That's right. Um, and the uh, new book from James Rollins is Kingdom of Bones. It is now available where books are sold. James, always great to have you on the show. Please uh, come back with your next books. So we can get you into the Five Timers Club. I'm looking forward to that. I need a new mug for my coffee. That's right. Thank you, James. And we are back on the big wake-up call. I'm Ryan Gatenby, and we always have fun chatting with my next guest. He is the host of America Says. You can see new episodes weeknight 6.30 on Game Show Network. We are going to catch up 
with John Michael Higgins, and uh, good morning, and welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me back. I always love being on your show, and uh, you have the best listeners in the whole world, so they're unflattering everybody. Well, I appreciate that. Welcome, though, to our Four Timers Club. You are just one appearance away from the much-coveted hat, T-shirt, or a baseball cap, or mug. Ooh, I can't wait. Are you going to shoot it out of one of those guns at me? <laughs> that would be amazing to just meet you on set and fire a coffee mug out of one of those guns. I would love to. That's a TV show right there, just firing mugs at people. Now that's television, my friend. Come on. Well, if you can pitch that to Game Show Network for me, I'll, I'll cut you in for 75% of the profits. Okay, 75% of the mug. Yeah. I'll, I'll try it. 75% of whatever pieces remain. But what is what is new and exciting? What's going on on a Season 5 of America Says? Well, it is the, the same old America Says as we've always played. Uh, but I would say, for me, the big difference is that uh, people, because they've been watching the show for five years, are really good at it now, <laughs> which means <laughs> it seems to be much more fast-moving, and I have I have contestants who are actually better at the game than I am, so I've got to stay on my toes. So I've really been I really enjoyed this this season. It was uh, kind of every show was pretty exciting for me. So um, it was, uh, and they're just some really close. And actually, because everyone's playing really well, uh, there are so many close scores and ties and things like that, which is much more exciting. Have you been able to chat with audience members? Have you talked to people? Hey, I, I've been here for a couple of different tapings, or I've watched every single episode throughout the series. Because, yeah, I would imagine at this point, it's a, it's a much savvier both a group of contestants and a more involved audience. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, people, uh, a lot of people are very addicted to the show, and they have they seem to know more about it than I do. So I always like to... Uh, when I, I, from the very beginning, from the very first show, and I've done more than 500 now, I, I feel like what's been important for me is that I stay very alive in the show and in the moment. And so I don't know the answers. I've never wanted to know the answers. It just keeps me uh, alive and, and on my toes. And I, uh, I think, and so many people are so good at it now. Then they have these interesting strategies these teams come with uh, to make sure they don't waste time on their clock by saying er and ah and that sort of thing. Uh, it's just it's very clever to watch them work work the show, as it were, as the show works them. So I've really enjoyed it. Hearing something like 500 episodes, do you have fans of the show come up and try to mention something specific hey i remember in episode 302 you did this do you kind of have to scramble your brain because i would imagine the workload you have and how many episodes you're taping at once it'd, it'd be hard for a particular one to, to sort of stand out it you're absolutely right it is i was very i was surprised at that actually i thought boy i'll, I'll never forget these contestants because they're all so different and they're all so interesting and um, uh, many people will come up and sometimes they're actually one of the contestants, you know, they'll see me in a grocery store or something and, and they say, Oh, uh, I was on blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, they just assumed I remembered all the questions because they remembered all the questions they asked and all the answers that were, that they missed. And I'm just <laughs> nodding my head and saying, I don't remember this person at all. <laughs> I just don't have any memory of this, but you know, over 500 shows, I hope you give me a break for that. But I, I uh, 
I, I love our contestants, and I generally remember most of them, but um, many times, you know, they could put those same questions up that they put up in season two, and I wouldn't remember a single answer that was on the board, not one. Have you found that in general, though? I mean, you've been on TV, you've been in the movies for so long now, people will recognize you, but uh, can you see them kind of scrambling their brain? Oh my gosh, what, what do I remember him from? What have I seen him in? What can I talk to him about? Oh yeah, that, you know, I'm a character actor. Uh, now, I, now I'm a game show host where I'm playing John Michael Higgins, which yeah. is odd for me. I've never had to play myself in my life. and I, I <laughs> just thought I couldn't do it when they offered me the job. I was like, I've never played John Michael Higgins. I don't know who he is, and I have no interest in playing him. That's why I became an actor, so I can be, so I can be somebody else. Uh, so it was really weird, and I, I. But again, a character actor. So when people approach me in a parking lot, they're really just looking at me, and they're sort of wagging their finger at me, going like, "Uh, uh, uh no one knows my name." And they, uh, the game show has changed that a little bit because every game show they say John Michael Higgins at the beginning, so they they have a name attached to it, but. Mostly, they've seen me in a lot of movies, a lot of television, and they can't name one of them, and they don't, but they just know they see me and see me and see me. And then eventually, they'll just say, well, I don't know, I can't remember what you're in, but I love you. <laughs> Is that the guy who was like whizzing softballs at a Target in a David Letterman wig? I think that's the first time I remember seeing you. Yeah, that was me, that was me. <laughs> um, yeah, Late Shift, it was called, yeah. By the way, is you know, I grew up such a game show fan in the 70s and 80s, and I always wanted to get, oh, at the end, they'd give away the home version of Price is Right or Family Feud or whatever. Is there a home version of America Says? Well, these days, of course, the home version is a app, right? It's yeah. It's GSN app. You can actually play the game on the Internet uh, pretty, pretty effectively, actually. Um, and it's kind of fun. I've done it myself. So uh, I, I strongly suggest anybody... Uh, who wants the home version can do it that way. I don't even know if they print home versions anymore, like uh, that you throw out on your dining room table. Yeah. Like we used to do with, with uh, you know, Wheel of Fortune or uh, whatever, but maybe they do. I'm not sure. I'm I guess sure an app is, is uh, it's probably more exciting than the, the cheesy, you know, plastic backdrop. But, uh, you know, it was fun pretending to be Richard Dawson or Bob Barker or whoever. I guess I could still pretend oh, to be you. Totally. You could pre- go ahead. You, uh, listen, I pretend to be me every day. <laughs> um, it is uh, season five, new episodes of America Says. You can see them at six thirty Central on Game Show Network. Of course, hosted by John Michael Higgins. Will please come back for season six so we can fire a mug at you for the uh, Five Timers Club. I can't. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. I want my mug. So when I come back on my fifth my fifth season on your show, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want that mug. Yay. All right. I can't wait. Thanks so much.